everyone, and welcome back to Purple Noon, a podcast. I am Stephanie Conti, and I am here with my bestie, the best podcast partner anyone could have. And are we late to this episode? Yes, but we tried. We did Twice we tried. We tried, yeah. Um, So... The first time, so there was a, we couldn't even begin the attempt scenario, and then a second attempt where we got 30 minutes through, had to stop, and the audio didn't save. Um, the first attempt, I think it was, or like we were about to, oh, you had uh, developed a really bad migraine, yeah, right? Got, yeah, my famous migraines. Her Sorry, famous guys. migraines, which look, understandable. I, I would not <laughs> want to talk about such, you know, a complex movie with a <laughs> migraine like that. Um, so all is good there. And then we were like, oh yeah, let's film this. But then of course, we forgot where we live, Florida. We decided to record in Central Florida. At like three o'clock in the afternoon, evening time, where if you are in Florida right now, you know, ah, you mean the daily hurricane. Yeah. Yes. So my lights and everything kind of, we had like a little bit of a surge, I think is what you call it. I call it a little outie um, where essentially everything just kind of, like, it was funny because all of a sudden I was like, oh, my light flickered and then I realized I'm like no everything flickered (laughs) because the thing is my my computer was still on so I was like okay power didn't go out great but then when I realized it was just it was a power flicker rather than just the light that I'm using the wi-fi was out and when you know it was thundering and it was crazy outside and stuff like that when I finally got my wi-fi back wi-fi back on and I checked for the audio she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So this is our second official attempt. So our second actual recording, third attempt at making this episode. Guys, yeah. even though it's a little bit late, hey, we're trying. We're trying, okay? <laughs> we're putting in the effort. Um, so before we talk about that and stuff, um, there's been a little bit of movie drama, like some actual real-life bonchinche it's been circulating for a few months now, yeah. but I really feel like we're we're hitting it right on the nail. And that is the don't worry, darling fiasco and everything of what's going on. So <laughs> what have you seen on the interwebs about all this stuff, Savannah? Because well, I've seen a lot. Too the much, in fact. The first thing I saw, the first piece of rumor, like the first big thing to come out of this movie was the Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles affair. That was the first thing I ever heard that came from this movie. And then there was the Shia LaBeouf stuff. There was the Florence Pugh stuff. And now it's just spiral into the fact that everybody on this cast hates each other. And I don't know if you saw, they were like, I think it was Venice. That was like the most awkward reunion ever. Everything, every single press conference wasn't normal. And every one of them, even though going the red carpet, every day that they have been there has just started and fueled more questions and more like, what the hell is actually going on here? The fact that nobody will also answer anything, it just kind of tells me that like majority of the stuff must have some truth in it because otherwise... Or or this could just be like a huge publicity stunt, but this seems like way too. It just seems a little too much of a train wreck. 
to be a a publicity stunt. Like I could understand the, oh, but they were Shia, 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 and all that type of stuff, right? But then when you see the goofiness, and I'm a Harry Styles fan, but there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of goofy behavior going on. That I have about this man now. And that is, I understand, like, he's not an actor actor okay or let's say this is his first big acting role besides dunkirk where he had like That's four true. lines That's and true. Then think died um, <laughs> um how do you work on a movie and then you know you you have publicists up the wazoo you're you're one of the most famous celebrities on the planet right now right you have one of the most popular songs right now on the radio. Everyone knows who you are, right? Everyone knows who you are. How do you fumble interviews left and right like that? And it's not even like, oh, he he was acting a certain way. Just like Savannah, if I ask you, how was it like acting? The worst response you could say <laughs> is to give me a very California response, which is like, well, it was just like a movie, bro. Like, and what? that's what he did. Did you not see that interview? I did. And the, my my conclusion is that this movie must not be good. And I think there might be realizing it now that this movie is not good. And I'm hoping it surprises me because I did like the concept of it. Not that I'm an Olivia Wilde fan, but I do like the concept of like the Stepford Wives vibes. Yeah. But the reviews came in and they are not good. They are not good. No, they're not good. And I love how Venice Film Festival is trying and they're trying to save it where it's like, oh, yeah, we got a three minute standing ovation. Bro, people are trying to leave. <laughs> people are trying to leave. But I feel like that response is sort of like a cop out. Like, oh, I was just, you know, I don't know. Because I'm I think also, if I'm he sorry, says. I, you could be showing Last Tango in Paris up on that screen and it could be my first time ever seeing it. Right. I'm not standing six minutes for an ovation. Yeah. Like, I don't get how they're like, oh, yeah, I got an 11-minute, oh, oh, you know, ovation. That's because 11 minutes, people stood around trying to get to the exit. And the, and only, things was- was, the only thing that was available to them was do the little white people clap that they do on airplanes. <laughs> Dude, but no, I feel like that comment was a cop-out. Because I feel like if he says, like, I worked so hard and – you know, I, I did what I did, whatever. I feel like maybe he thought it would be embarrassing if the movie is bad. Yeah. And, and but, I think also yeah. you, I think you kind of expect that type of behavior from someone who is more of like a nepotism baby, you know, not a, you know, the most super famous pop star right now that there is who has all the access to all these resources and still, you know, the wigs I, I look just great. thought it was weird because the he publicity also had to, training. <laughs> I, he also has another movie coming out in November. So what are you doing? What like what is the question going to be different or the answer going to be different in November? I'm getting concerned because I genuinely think his performance on iCarly is going to be better than <laughs> um, this performance here. Just based and who looks at that clip and goes, "Yeah, that clip of Harry Styles doing four different accents in one minute." upload it that's gonna it's like that one audio where it's like the hoes gonna love this (laughs) we don't because it's not good acting at all in that retrospect like in that 
Now, okay, this is not me defending you know, Shia say, LaBeouf. It wasn't even bad acting. It's just like there really wasn't a director on set then to go, hey, let's get you a vocal coach, my guy. I feel like, you know, and it really is. If, if this movie is such a mess, this movie is such a mess because of her. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because at the end of the day, when, when you have a movie that has Shia LaBeouf kicked out, and you are still the most problematic person in this film. That is such a big problem. That really is. I don't know is. why people don't like real. Like Shia LaBeouf is airing out his dirty laundry pretty much like, like, I don't know. He, what did this he do? This man like, legally release? can't enter in a Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Wilde still was able and to. Videos. And like he proved that she's lying. And the fact that like Shia LaBeouf is doing this is just bad. It's it's downhill. He it's got even Stevens on her. For real. <laughs> like it's it's crazy. It's it's so crazy. And you know what it is? You know what I also don't like? This is in reality, this is all like it it, it should be all fun and games and haha, this is so dumb and stupid and everything like that. It's such a train wreck and all these things. But sadly, there are like, especially in the way that my, and I didn't even think about this until my dad mentioned this. And he was like, wow, this is a, a fat L for female directors. It is. Yeah. Because the first time a female director is heavily circulating in the news, it's not for a good reason. It's not for making a masterpiece. Yeah. It's not for doing any of this stuff. And I was like, he, he's right. Like, he's genuinely right. Like, the fact that – and look, there's been female directors long since the day, you know? Like, we've had female directors for years. But in terms of – and especially in mainstream American media, slim pickings. It's like 3% of maybe all the directors out there. You know, if you ask a person – any film bro, hey, who's your favorite female director besides Sofia Coppola? They're going to yeah. go, um. And I don't blame them because there's not a lot out there. There's not I, a lot out there. And I think it's sad because, like, at the end of the day, I don't know about the film, but the idea had potential to reach a lot of people. Most people probably would have saw this movie because it does look interesting. The trailer it has the really all-star good. cast. They put a lot of money into it. But it now been this cool is just going to gonna be known as the like the the dramatic like this movie's. You're not going to remember this movie. You're going to remember all the problems it had before, and that's the issue. You're not going to remember Olivia Wilde. You're going to remember the problematic person she is. And I think the worst of it all is. A lot of these actors, Florence Pugh, um, Chris Pine, uh, there's Poor another Chris woman Pine. in it. Poor Chris Just, Pine. But there are other people in it that are professionals. Like these are not, you know, sorry, it's not Nick Kroll, not that he's not a professional, but <laughs> renowned actors that have been in serious roles. Nick Kroll's great, by the way. I love him. But I'm just saying they have built this reputation of being serious and professional yeah. And I feel like all this has done is just kind of drag them into like pettiness, like social media pettiness. And that's the real issue here. Like you're you're not I'm not going to say you're hurting people's careers, but like you're putting people in position that they shouldn't have been to begin with. Nobody signed up to do all this. They did it. Yeah. And I think it's also because you have like you said, like you have people like Florence Pugh and Chris Pine who they're professionals for a reason. 
they always do their best and they do a great job. And yeah. that's why people are still hailing Florence Pugh in this movie, despite what seems to be a train wreck that it is. But it really, really, it sucks when you have not just one person, but multiple people just bringing down all, like any goodness that Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, Gemma Chen, Nick yes. Kroll, all of them do in this film is already knocked down two notches by the behavior of Olivia Wilde. Primarily, and you could say also to Shia LaBeouf, but Shia LaBeouf is no longer in this movie. So whatever we see on screen is is not going to be due to Shia or anything. This is no. all on Olivia and her direction. And no. it's funny too, because she made a, um, a comment on a... Um, a like late night show host, I think it was about a year or two ago when she first directed Booksmart, right? And she yeah. pretty much says like, if a movie is crap, it's because the director was crap. Well, and, she better stand by that because like seriously, but Olivia Wilde is also someone where I genuinely don't think she should have even been behind the camera in the first place like genuinely and this is not like me being oh i'm a womanator is this is not it it's mean like she tried book smart and even book smart was still not as successful is what it's thundering again oh my gosh we're sticking through okay We'll see what happens. Yes. Um, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, like she did direct uh, Book Smart and everything like that. I, it's too, you got to try a little something, something, you know, more. Before yeah, this was very big. You have a good point. This was a very big movie to come out with right after Book Smart. 100%. And I'm looking at her biography and everything and what she's directed and stuff. Bro, she directed the Red Hot Chili Peppers Dark Necessities music video? What? Cool. That's pretty cool. I will say that's pretty cool. That's also my favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Um, but she went from Booksmart, which is a very indie film. Lighthearted, you know, fun. Very lighthearted comedy to now Don't Worry Darling. I think there should have been a few more, even to like go from Dark Necessities to Booksmart. I think there should have been a little bit more something else too. Now, I, like, like just to clarify, I don't think this is like she's not the devil. I'm not trying to vilify this woman, but the level of at the end of the day, like we can from this situation, she's not a professional. She is not a professional director, nor does she seem to want to be. I yeah. I just don't see how. How does how does your movie get this bad? How do you let all this this drama pretty much put a notch down on your movie? People are not going to remember Don't Worry Darling. They're going to remember the mess like she made. Yeah. And that's the I I don't know how you fumble so much. That is my issue with her. How do you fumble what essentially could be your big break as a director? Yeah, and it's just one of those things too where I I do think you need to have some type of training in order to be, and I'm not saying like you're going to go to film school for four years and get into $120,000 debt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think you need to train. And I just, I don't think she has that training. And you can also tell by Booksmart because Booksmart is very much 
a well-written comedy with extremely basic directing. Sure. Yeah. And I genuinely think it's one of those things too, where if you look at the, uh, like if you look at the, what the other leads of Booksmart have done, this just was a perfect role for them. And I think that also makes it way easier to direct. Yeah. Like, cause if you compare Booksmart to the, to in the two main leads to other characters that they play, that's their typecast. Yeah, that's true. It's over true. and over and over again. You know, these are also actresses. Like one of them has been on a TV show for like the past seven years. The other has, you know, jo- she has access to so many different acting coaches and stuff. And her brother is a fantastic actor. It's not going to be that hard to do something like this, you know, because you're not bringing people out of their comfort zone. That's true. Very true. Good point. So, and you, people could say like, well, she was date dating, married, I don't even know, um, to Jason Sudeikis. I know they were in a relationship for a while, but I still don't think that's going to be enough for you to try to single-handedly direct a multi multi-million dollar production no no (sighs) so and it's the timeline also just really doesn't look good at all no it doesn't everything looks bad and especially with you know her her ex-husband and harry and stuff like that to now them not even standing next to each other the the whole thing is just bad at least like it's just it looks Look, I heard a lot of things about, look, if it was a man, whoever it was, it just looks bad. Man or woman, this situation looks horrific. And it's everything is pretty much butchered now. When you go into this film, like I said, you're thinking about that awkward press conference. You're thinking about the fact that, like... Harry Styles it could potentially be switching out of different accents. And, like, the fact that, like, Florence wouldn't even look at their direction. I, it, it's just... You can tell everybody genuinely is having a bad time now. Like, this is a very stressful time when really you're supposed to be like, this is the time where you celebrate your movie and yeah, nah. everybody looks stressed. Yeah. So it just, everything, it looks bad. Everything looks bad. But I'll tell you what I'm happy about. What are you happy about? Brendan Fraser getting that ovation. I am excited to see that movie. Um, that's a Darren Aronofsky film. I, I know it's going to gut me from, oh yeah. It's I haven't seen me. anything from, uh, from him for a while, you know? So, and I think it has a really, it, it's definitely reminds me of like a, what's eating Gilbert grape, but maybe a more modern version just based on the plot alone. Um, so I'm excited to see that. I'm really excited to see that. Brendan Fraser deserves it. The fact he that he was it. crying. It warms my heart. He seems like a very, very nice person. Yeah, I agree. He seems like I think he's just one of those people that like genuinely have been through a lot in the industry. And I'm I'm really happy everybody seems to be treating him the way he should have been treated. Yeah. By the way, I think it's really funny because I just read an article about um, Olivia Wilde and her making, you know, some stuff. And it the article starts off with saying Olivia Wilde went to film school on the set of other directors' films. What which, does that mean? Like just working on other films. Okay. That was her film school. Mm. Here's the thing. You can work for like some of the most amazing people on a film set 
if you don't know how to communicate, you can't really be a director. I see. Like genuine, like here's the thing. You might have a vision, but directors, they typically don't touch cameras. It's not like they're moving people around. It's not like, like you have to be able to communicate and everything. So people, and that's why a lot of actors turn directors. That's where they're lacking because they don't know how to communicate. Like they may have the right idea and stuff like that, but they just don't know how to communicate to their crew their actors and all the other people involved on what exactly is their vision, you know? And genuinely as someone who's worked on different sets, different professional sets with some pretty high stakes people and everything, I still don't feel like I know everything about directing and I never will. And I, and I never will. So if you just think, oh, yeah, working on a set, I'll know everything. It gave me a confidence I needed for sure because I was like, yeah, I can do it. But it definitely made me more aware because it's not just communicating with your actors. You might have a crew of 100 people. Yeah, like, yeah. You have to be able to communicate with all of them, not be rude, mean, asinine, or anything unless it's 100% warranted for whatever reason, you know? Like – I don't know. I, I, I really just wish we stuck with either like indie directors who slowly work on projects and then make their way into the big leagues or just go with people who have been trained, frankly, yeah. you yeah. know? And I say that because I, I, I know the indie route is going to be harder for people. And I know that also going to school and going into a lot of debt without, um, you know, without um, – any any surefire way of knowing if you're going to become a director or not. I understand that those are big things to take, but I, I do think it's it's those are the those are how either the best type of directors are made. Yeah, molded through a school or indie, and then rising up to the big picture. I can see that nepotism directing and a lot of actors turning into directors. I just, I'm not the biggest fan of it because I feel like there's always something missing and it's usually because they don't learn how to communicate. The the quality isn't there usually. That's yeah. the issue. You can definitely tell the difference. For sure. And I think, look, you could, like, obviously someone like Clint Eastwood, who's been in the game for like 60 years, yeah. That's enough time. That's <laughs> yeah, enough yeah, time yeah. to learn and to direct and stuff like that's, that. Yeah, well, that's and I understand that, and there have been some successful cases and everything, but I don't but know. I understand what you're saying. It's rare. Like, I'm not it's being a rare feat by directors these days. I'm you really know, not. I, you know, I haven't seen a movie this year that like wowed me. In fact, I haven't seen a movie in a very long time that I sat in the, and had a real experience. I've seen good movies this year. Oh yeah, like everything everywhere all at once was fantastic. All these things. And they're technically amazing too, but I think- There's nothing that my jaw just dropped. And I know too that everything everywhere all at once is going to resonate with people, especially those within the culture of, you know, and share similarities within that culture and have that mother-daughter type of dynamicism going on. I know that people will be able to connect to that, but I, I, it's been a while since I've- truly connected and i think that's also do i really like the way old movies look i you know put it on yeah, a tripod, that's me. It. i really just i have a love for 
older movies, I like slower, drawn-out movies where I get to just soak up all the details, like bread when you're mopping up sauce. That's the only Italian type of (laughs) example I can think of. But it's difficult. It's difficult finding movies today that are like that. No, yeah. I think most of the things that are coming out in theaters are very safe bets. Very, very much, much like so. crowd pleasers. So I literally think the only thing to have wowed me recently is, and I've talked about it last time, and I will continue to talk about it, in terms of story-wise, Silent Hill 2. That's the only thing. But that's, that's also not recent. Old. That's 20 years it's ago. 20 years old. Yeah. yeah but that's it, what I'm saying. It's like a newer discovery, if you will. But like that's something that I'm like, wow. Like that is Yeah, yeah. It's it's great, you know. It's taking over your life. Yes, but it's because it's the one thing I found in years to give me that type of reaction. Even The Woman Next Door, as much as I love that movie, it doesn't hold as much of a visceral reaction I have to like a plot like Silent Hill 2. And I think, you know, obviously I say that because I would love to one day make something as good as Silent Hill 2 in terms of like a plot and a storyline and everything and how complex and deep-rooted the story is and whatnot but it it, you don't i like movies with a lot of layers and i feel like i'm not getting that yeah i i think we don't get enough time to learn about our characters in movies anymore i think we kind of are expected to get what we get so there's not a lot of emotion when it comes to watching movies anymore and i think that's almost the main i I like being given I, I really don't care about being stimulated visually. I like having time to form connections yeah. with either places in movies, things in movies, or people in movies. So the film that we're going to talk about today, I felt that connection. Not on a like huge, massive, wide-scale last tango in Paris for me or, you know, no, but like Goodfellas for you type of feel, but definitely like – I watched this movie and I was like, this is why older movies will always reign in some way, shape, or form superior because I'm able to form those connections. I'm able to take in the appreciation for direction, you know? Mm -hmm. So today we're (laughs) going to be reviewing um, a French film titled Two Men in Town. It is about a former bank robber who is released after 10 years in prison. He gets help from a social worker, but as he is living his life as a free man, he gets harassed by an old cop from his past, the cop who had put him in jail 10 years ago prior. So this is by a director named Jose Giovanni. It is also written by him and it stars Elaine Delon as Gino Strabligi, Jean Gabin as uh, or yeah, Jean Gabin as Germaine Cézanneuve. And in terms of other prominent actors, we have Mibsy Farmer, Victor Leneau, and Cecil Vasorte. Um, and also a little a little bonus bonus to our boy Gerard Depardieu. Well, he's not our boy, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Gerard Depardieu, who has like a, a quick nice little, little fifteen minute early in his career cameo. Yeah. So Savannah, I already know how you feel about this film because we attempted to record this podcast <laughs> once. But for those who haven't heard the failed attempt, please tell me what you thought about Two Men in Town. Let, to get the ball rolling. Um, One of the problems I always had with movies that 
talk about social issues. And this movie talks about a big social issue um, is that I feel like there isn't enough balance between story and message. And it's, it's always been one of those things for me where I've kind of not stayed away, but I've kept my expectations very low for mm-hmm. movies that are talking about social problems. In fact, I saw a movie recently called Vengeance written by BJ Novak, the guy from The Office. And I thought the message of what he was trying to say was very good, but the plot suffered. Um, with this movie, I didn't feel like that at all. It's probably one of the only films, I think, to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, to make us love this character and understand this character while also talking about like real issues like prison reform and what happens to these people when they leave the prison. So I'm just to start the conversation, I was very impressed on how they were able to to make a really good story, make good characters, have excellent acting, but also, you know, really drive the point home on what the movie was actually trying to express. Um, in terms of its message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I, I I think, because this movie does not get a lot of hype no. anywhere, right? In terms of, especially when you talk about Elaine DeLone and his um, film history, right? Mm-mm. Two Men in Town doesn't come up on anyone's list often, right? So usually you hear about Le Samurai, Purple Noon, you hear about Le Cercle Rouge, you hear about all these different things, right? Two Men in Town was something I had stumbled upon because when I looked up Elaine Delone one day, like I think two years ago, this has been on our list for a while. Yeah, right? it's been on our list for a while. Two years ago, I looked up and it was one of the only ones to pop up and it looked like it had a really good quality to it. It was available to buy and stuff like that. So I had added it to the list. I was not expecting to find my newest favorite Delone performance and I was truly, for a movie that really hasn't been talked about and still has such an amazing relevancy today, I mean, it's the context of its relevancy is sad in nature, but I say it's amazing because it really is a timeless concept that feels like we've been struggling all around the world, many different places at many different times. Um, And it's, man, like it's really a solid movie. Like, it is a solid, solid film. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start talking about the plot and everything, right? Yeah. So you have this um, Elaine DeLone's character who was the lead in a bank robbery 10 years prior. He serves his time. A social worker helps him get out because he's on good behavior and everything. He's able to connect with his wife again. And it's really sweet because every day she would uh, stand outside the prison and play music for him. And already that kind of set the tone for the type of person Delone was. Because they were saying like, oh, you don't want to move around. He's like, she's, and I think it was even though that he did this bank robbery and stuff like that, she still knew he was a good person. Yeah. You know? As far as the crime goes, no one died. No one was murdered. It was just a, a bank robbery, right? Yeah, he wasn't crazy. He wasn't crazy. He was a nonviolent offender. So she has the music out there for him. Even the social worker forms a relationship with her. And when he's finally out of prison, he kind of forms this really beautiful father-son relationship with um, Elaine Delone and Gabine. And I will say, whoever decided to pair these two together, 
knew what they were doing and what needed to be done. Um, And not only because I genuinely don't know a lot of older actors, French actors from that time who could have possibly done this role. Maybe, maybe at this time they could have thrown in um, like a Burt Lancaster or, you know, or another type of big prominent actor um, who kind of had more of like a international fame, but they went with a more um, well-respected French actor. Um, who was still big at the time, but he was kind of aged and and he hadn't done a lot of films and stuff. And the chemistry between Gabine and Delone is out of this world. Yeah. Um, it's so fantastic. Um, what did you think of that relationship between the two? Do you think someone else could have done the job as them? Or do you think it was overall just a a perfect match or somewhere in the middle? Well, one of the things I noticed very quickly is that they had similar acting styles, at least for the movie. They're both very subtle actors and they use kind of their eyes to to convey all their emotion. And I think that worked extremely well because they played off each other's strengths. So I, I don't know that they could have picked a more perfect like partner for mm-hmm. for each other because they really played. I mean, there are scenes where they're just staring at each other and you can feel the emotion. You can feel the tension. They're not, they're not even like making several facial expressions. They're not talking. They're just staring at each other and it is so emotional. So um, they, they found two actors that really play off each other's strengths. So I, I don't think they could have, I think it would have been very rare. So I do think in this case it was perfect. Yeah, and I think, and I was talking about this in the the failed recording, um, but with French films, especially French films from this decade, you typically, when you come across acting and stuff like that, like if you compare Italian films to French films from this time frame, the Italians were over the top, yeah, dramatic, right. louder <laughs> than life, okay? Crying every five minutes. Crying and, oh my God, Mama Roma, which we'll talk about <laughs> within the next few weeks. Um, you know, things like that, right? Whereas the French, they just, they had to be cool. It was new wave. It was, it was the 60s. It was all this, <laughs> they had to be cool. And I think it was really interesting to see Delone in my eyes, finally play a multi-faceted character. Yeah. Where, yeah, in the beginning and when everything is going all right, it's that very chill, very, you know, like straight edge type of persona. But as things progress, that persona for Delone kind of becomes more emotional, you know? And I really like that because I feel like a lot of movies, they just kind of are like, be stone cold, be yeah. cool. And he does it very well. Don't get me wrong. But I felt like whenever I watch an Aline DeLone film, I'm looking at a really great actor who's always put in a narrow acting range. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see that range broaden. It was really, really nice to see that range broaden. Yeah. And I loved his performance. And I genuinely think it's my favorite performance of DeLone that I've seen so far. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think... It it was so important to also like write the character the way it was in terms of like him being human because I think if they did this you know stone cold French way like whatever way of acting you were talking about it would have completely changed the tone of the movie mm-hmm. so I think 
whoever, you know, whoever was in charge of that, whether it was the person who wrote the script, whether it was even Delon, I don't know if maybe he was the one who made the call. It really set the tone for the movie and really portrayed this character in the most humane way, mm-hmm. which is what we needed to see. A hundred percent, especially towards the end of the movie. Because if he was still like, I'm cool, then we're kind of like, oh, okay, so I don't know how to feel. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree with you. I think it was nice to see Elaine Delon have like multiple emotions. <laughs> yeah. And um, I do want to preface, so I did end up looking up. So Gabine and Delon did end up working together a few years before for a movie called The Sicilian Clan. Ooh. So that is definitely something I want to check out and I'll probably add to the list Put right the after list. this is done. We'll just get to because in two years. their chemistry, I kind of want to see how it was before, see if it evolved, see if maybe, you know, like, because it's just so great. I think I haven't seen a film like this in in a while that so without over emotion was able to connect to vastly, vastly similar, but vastly different characters. Right. And I think it's because, you know, you have one of them who's younger, one of them who's older that already sets apart a lot of differences in terms of the way that they act and the way that they view things and everything. And even like, they're both on like the same side of like this, somewhat nihilistic coin yeah. but still on different ends of it um i i really like and this makes me want to see so and i i also said too that like gabine wasn't a big thing he was huge like he was huge i'm looking it up now because i realized <laughs> he was also in the grand illusion which if you are a criterion nerd and you're probably listening to this and you're very well familiar with gabine's background and everything you're probably going no he might have been the bigger star at the time i'm sorry this is my first introduction to gabine yeah. um but really just solid acting all throughout and i think honestly like once again, I was knowing that I was going to like this movie. I didn't think that this movie was going to floor me. And that flooring started to occur, not only as the story evolved and it got really smart. It was just really well written. But when we finally started to crack that nut of of cool, straight-edged alone towards the end, and my God, did it gut me. I was on my little stationary bike while watching the rest of this movie (laughs) crying. I also had a rash flare up on my face and my tears burned my rash. So it was was a a ride. Yeah, it was a mess. It was a ride. No pun intended because I was on my stationary (laughs) bike, but it was, it, it, the end gutted me, the performance because it felt like for the first time, this, oh my God, he's so cool. I love Alenda alone. Persona broke. And it it was a beautiful breaking, but it broke me too. And I, I wonder, do you feel the same way? Because I feel like we've seen Alenda alone in this one light. And to finally see him break down and be his most human that he's ever been emotionally was- ruined me. It was so sad. It was just so sad because, I mean, we follow the character. Like, he just did such a good job because we just follow this man trying to make a better life for him. And we liked him. And we liked him. You know, he was a good character, too. He was complex. He had some moments of douchery. He had some moments of just awesomeness and, and just being overall, like, a really interesting character. And to it to come to that type of end just... 
crying well, on the stationary I, bike. I think the smartest thing they did, and I, again, this is something I have not seen, was make this character almost at no fault throughout the entire movie. He's just pretty much paying for the mistakes of his past. And there's no, there's nothing, with the, oh, well, maybe if he hadn't done that in the movie or if he didn't talk to this person, there's nothing this man didn't do. Yeah. So I think that's important because I, when we're talking about um, prison reform and and if you watch TV shows and movies, when, when, when we're seeing prisoners get out of prison, a lot of the plot is, oh, they, even if at no fault of their own, they go back to their old ways. And that happens a lot. And that's- yeah important on its own but what this movie does it says like no even when he has hard times even when he does do the right thing even when he doesn't talk to his old gang members even when he works hard he still loses yeah that even when he's trying his best he still loses because people are looking at him and going well you're in a broken system how could you not lose even when he's doing and 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 resisting every temptation or or nearly every temptation right and then it coming to the close of just kind of realizing that there's nothing literally else he could have done there's nothing else he could have done and even like i will say like even the ending and the outcome i still feel like isn't a reflection of him you know and that's when you know when you see a an act of crime and you're able to still go deep down and go no, but this character I don't I don't I don't think it was ill intentioned. I don't think it was this. That's when you know you've written a really well written complex character. When now I'm trying yeah. to humanize and relate and even defend this character. But it's I think that's writing. what you were talking about. Exactly what you were saying before is that we spent time with this character. Yeah, we saw him develop. We see. Like, everybody around this character also loves him, by the way. Like, all of his friends, his wife, like, everybody loved this guy. But he does, very cleverly, they kind of make some small, new, he makes some small nuanced enemies that you don't think, and when I say enemies, I mean, like, he pl- his wife dies and he plays the music too loud and everyone they go to storm his door and they're like you're a bum you're playing the music <laughs> loud you're a guy. bum and he slaps one dude around no one else sees and yet you know just something like that right something a grieving man that we can relate to in some way smacks around someone and it ends up being used against him in like one of the worst ways possible you have also a lot of that too yeah, but Which I, it's hard to do. It's hard to put scenes like that in a movie. And keep in mind, I knew the outcome of this movie watching it because I had watched the trailer. And so they uh, kind of have a spoiler in the trailer. So I was still even shocked at how they took all these little, you know, scenes that I thought were just little kind of funny story progressors and use it against our main character in the yeah. end. But this is what you were saying, you know, like when when you take this ride with the character, when when movies give you a chance to like get to know your character you overlook those things yeah because you're like nah that guy's nice i i saw him riding the bike and he's but you know what i mean and i think what you're saying is so spot on and it's it's a real big reflection of this film yeah we can overlook the fact that this guy was robbing banks and you know he hit a few people and he ends up spoiler alert he ends up accidentally killing the cop that was after him after being harassed and bullied and it's even crazy that i'm sitting here and i'm still thinking i i i get it 
I get it. No, that this listen. cop was insane mentally, he, and everyone saw that power trip. No, this guy was bullying, harassing this guy's family, harassing his wife. Um, and the writing for that commissioner job. too was also really done because you can see this how this he the minute he locked eyes like this character is not introduced until midway through the film yeah. and finally ends up like i thought for some reason gabine was going to kind of be the person to put delone back you know um behind bars and things like that and, and into any other type of circumstance but this pivotal villain is only introduced maybe within god the last 45 minutes of the film He's not even in it that long. He's not even in it that long. And yeah. the power, like props to that actor too, but the power that this character had and how we were able to see just the madness that took over him as he wanted to pin and get that victory of putting away Delone again. And whether it was following Delone as, you know, he had those, uh, the, his prior, uh, robbery friends coming up to him and even remembering the jacket and then when he when the commissioner locked up Delone, took his house keys went to his home i went oh my god because i just i you don't think like i didn't think that far i didn't i thought that the cop was just gonna be like slapping him around and kind of be lazy you know and just be like i know you're up to no good but the fact that we could see this cop going so far wanting that victory again to break and enter into his home even though he had keys break and enter remember that jacket pick the number even to the point where remember in the end um, one of the robbers ends up in the hospital because he shoots him. And <laughs> while this dude is practically dying, we don't even know if he really survives in the end or not. He is harassing, not about the robbery that he was just arrested and shot for, but on any connection that he had to Delone, which is kind of insane. It really shows his priorities as winning a victory over than doing actual justice. No, and like... We're able to see that, like, very quickly. Very quickly. I mean, I saw it that, like, Elaine's character had, like, no chance. Yeah. I saw it when this guy started coming around his job. I was like, oh, there's no way. There's nothing he can do now. There's nothing because... And I, I think that just shows the corruption there. Like, he was powerful. This guy, you know, he's still... Even though he rebuilt his life pretty well, he was still an ex-convict. What's he going to do? Yeah. He can't, he would go to the police station and be like, this guy's harassing me. They're going to laugh at him. He'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. And when, after, you know, he murders this guy, I, I think, yeah, after he murders this guy and he's on trial, it's absolutely insane to see that, like, I, I forget if it was the judge or whoever was in charge. I don't know how the French government works, but whoever's in charge of the trial was pretty much like, yeah, I don't want to hear about anybody that ever knew this guy you guys are not allowed to tell me anything so they didn't even have let anybody kind of come to his defense at all except yeah that one and lady meanwhile the they defense. raved about how oh the cop was a father he was an amazing man oh he solved God. so many cases and stuff and bro you know and it, one thing i thought that my i just could not believe too was the fact that there was a witness there was a witness to the murder and 
what essentially happened was this commissioner snuck into Delone's house while his girlfriend was there, while Delone was out. Delone walks in, sees this dude kind of feeling up his girlfriend, or at least heading in that direction. So after being stalked, now all yeah. of a sudden this commissioner's like, I want your life and I want your girl too. <laughs> I'd lose it as well. And so he, he goes, lost a wife. The guy's wife, the first yeah, wife like, died. He, in the he beginning already of the movie. had lost what seemed to him as everything in the beginning. He yeah. slowly regained back his life and then now to lose it again. And keep in mind, like most people after going through a, you know, a, a, like a car crash where you lose a spouse and stuff like that, that would be enough. Like I thought it was going to be like, oh, wife's dead. He's going to lose it and he's going to rob because he feels empty. And so he's going to rob. That's what's going to happen, right? No. It shows that still he had a good support system. He was able to overcome all this stuff. And now you had this one cop that wanted to just ruin it. And genuinely, it's one of those things, too, where when the when they were doing the trial and everything, right? The fact that she gave her testimony and then they said, like, oh, it was considered to be impartial, Meaning, it essentially, and I, I don't know legal terms, but like essentially, the, yeah. they, it had to be taken with a grain of salt because of her relationship with Delone, which I absolutely think is so beyond messed up. Like yeah. the fact that you have a witness there who says, who would have ultimately said, like, hey, this commissioner had been stalking me at my job for months, was stalking him for months, walked into my apartment. And then started to grope me. And they're like, mm, that's got a lot of judgment. That that's that has a lot of opinions in that. Like, what? Nobody asked why he was at the house, also. Nobody asked why yeah. he, what he was doing there. My and thing it wasn't too, like, yeah. The yeah, cop yeah. that was also like, hey, you're kind of going insane over this. And he was like, I don't care. Where was that dude? Yeah, no. This there there was no chance. There it was a setup. A hundred percent. There was no chance. No but chance it, for Delone. It really. There was no chance for Delone. And even when everyone who was closest with him, like his worker, that like his his boss that he had been working with for years, and the guy just said nothing but amazing things about him. His girlfriend saying nothing but amazing things. The um the the his social worker that he had a relationship with for like years, like a friend, like that father, a mother, a father, son relationship yeah. with the fact that this social worker also let him hang around his children and his wife and bring them into his own home and stuff like that. And still they found so many ways to demonize Delone's character. Yeah. As a bank robber who got out of the system, and now killed a man. Yeah. And look, I, I, I wasn't expecting, and I, I knew, I already knew kind of where the end was going to go, but I was still hoping. I was still, even though I knew, I was still like, no, maybe yeah, maybe he'll get too. life. Maybe he'll be able to see his, his, his girlfriend through the grates and she'll play music for him. Like, even when... I knew what was going to happen. I did not want it to happen because I cared so deeply for this character. Now, that ending, I think 
what for me, what started trickling down the tears and everything was not the fact that everyone tried to get like a presidential pardon and stuff like that. You know, it was when it was time for Elaine, his character to be hanged or to be guillotined rather. Um, Cause the guillotine had not been. Um, French the, are brutal. Let me tell you. And it's so, so guillotining in the 1970s. Oh also, my gosh! The fact that here is the last. So the besides his girlfriend, the last person who he had a connection with was forced, forced to see it happen, and him being scared was what got me. That's what really started to get me because I feel like if you've if you've known what you've done and you did it was wrong and stuff like that, you wouldn't be afraid. You would just kind of accept it, right? Um, unless you're you're a narcissist, right? Um, the fact that after everything, he didn't want to say anything and stuff, that now our cool, you know, our, our cool, suave actor was now borderline a mess was so intense for me to see, you know, because I I'd never seen Delone's side like that before. Yeah. So that one, and it was it wasn't he wasn't fully blubbering because he wasn't like going no, on but and there rambling. Was the look, the look he the gave, the look, yes. and how sad he was, and how long but quick the process felt simultaneously, and oh, it just gutted me, gutted me, you know. No, yeah, it, it was a rough ending. It was a rough, but it was very powerful. Very powerful ending. Very, very, and very well done too. I love the set that they used. I loved how they did it and everything. And I thought it was it was overall just a really excellent, well done film. As there were some scenes that I noticed that there were some I will say directing technical issues, like some things didn't match and stuff like that. But I believe this was a lower budget film. And I think this was one of the first things that, or one of the newer things that, um, that the director had made. So I was still overall really, yeah, it was one of his earlier works too. Um, now with speaking of the director and everything, um, this movie even hits a personal home to the director himself because if we go to the trivia of this essentially um this movie was part of it says here this movie was part of a campaign against the death penalty in france that took place in the 70s the director was once sentenced to death in 1945 right after the war and was pardoned by the french president so this is kind of him imagining his life if it wasn't now the whole circumstance and everything isn't um correct like this is not what happened to him um but 10 years later after completing his sentence he became a writer screenwriter and movie director and 10 years after this movie uh the death penalty was abolished in france good i had i was having a gripe with the government over there i will say there has been because i tried looking because i was wondering why was this man sentenced to death so I think there's a lot of conflicting sources and stuff like that. But overall, the he was pardoned, right? Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was a really crazy circumstance. Hold on, I have to look. And I know it had something to do when, when he was really young. 
under the influence of his brother during World War II. Okay. So let me see. A prison sentence for... (laughs) Was he a Nazi? Let's see the results. Well, I hope not. Let's hope it wasn't that. Oh, so here, according to the filmnoirfoundation.org, well, it's an org, so surely we can trust it, right? (laughs) Um, Let's see. So it's him talking about it and stuff. Apparently, there's a lot of conflicting information as to what exactly he did. Um, Like, I've seen a lot of conflicting information about it. At 22, he was convicted... um, along with his older brother, in an extortion and murder plot, mastermind by their uncle. Okay. So the brother escaped from prison only to be killed in a fight, and Giovanni was sentenced to death. Oh, my gosh. So because of his father's extensive but discreet help on Giovanni's behalf, the sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, and he was freed after serving eight years. That's crazy. Yeah, so kind of similar in terms of the eight years and stuff like that, but I am not sure. Like like I said, I've heard conflicting information. I've heard that it was mostly a plot led by the brother. Other people say, no, it was led by him, and he just got really lucky and stuff like that, you know? Like, I've heard many conflicting information about it. That's absolutely wild. Yeah, but he also has memoirs where he talks about it and everything. Um, And yeah, like, I think it's great. I think, you know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of that new issue with uh, everyone's talking about with, uh, what was it, Where the Crawdads Sing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to that in a way. However, just based on the spoilers alone that I read about Where the Crawdads Sing, I think that's a little bit worse. Oh, the what the act what the author did? Yes. Well, also yeah, the way I that it ends. I don't know. Do you know how it ends? Oh, I, I saw it. Oh, you saw it? What I'm did you think of it? Not really. It was it was decent. It was decent. Um, spoiler alert: the the main girl, um, you know, she was getting bullied, and like it was a it was a problem. Like I don't blame the main girl in the story, but she does end up getting away with murder. Of her ex-boyfriend. Interesting. But the boyfriend had it coming. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But the author, I didn't hear about the accusations till later on, until after I saw the movie. And I was like, yikes. How did this even, like, get greenlit after that? Oh. So... Okay, so okay, I found a little. Here's some more conflicting information about Jose Giovanni. He was a member of the French Resistance during World War II, then joined a criminal gang in Italy ran by his uncle. He was 22 years old when he and his older brother were arrested for burglarizing a home in Paris. The uh-huh. homeowner, homeowner died during the commission of the robbery, and the siblings were arrested and sentenced to death. His brother escaped only to be killed, and his father then asked the French government to um, commute his sentence to life imprisonment, and it worked. That sounds very similar to the story. Very similar. Very, very similar. Um 
Interesting. But like, my thing is, I, I just want to know how, how did, who killed the person? Who killed this old man? Yeah, what was in the going apartment? on? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Some sketchy business here, huh? Mm. Regardless, I think the film is beautiful and has a great message. No, I'm happy that, like, first of all, I think this is a great argument um, against the death sentence. I've personally never been for it. Not to get political, but I think this is a very powerful way to show these people as humans that have feelings and emotions and a lot of like the story is just is a perfect perfect example. Yeah, I I really think this movie is. I too agree with not doing the death penalty. I feel like um I feel like if you want the death penalty or like if you're going to give the death penalty to someone, it has to be clear, concise involvement. No, it's got to be like Richard Ramirez. Like immediately being an American, I think of school shootings. Like I do think like right now in the state of Florida, the the one uh, Cruz, the one kid who, a man now, who performed the uh, Stoneman Douglas high school killings and killed like multiple people and had confessed to, you know, multiple manifestos that he did it, he was going to do it and stuff like that. Because he was a minor during the time of the crime, they're now fighting. You can't, in the state of Florida, sentence minors to death. Right. So they're trying to do trials where they can try him as an adult as he is now and try him now so that way they can try doing the death penalty on I him. See. Which, honestly... I think it's one of those things where maybe like I I I don't know. I feel like I'm I don't know enough in terms of how it affects the families. Especially when yeah, it's something like I think like that's that. a hard situation because I think that involves a lot of people. Yeah. Particularly. Um I and think I think if all the families that are petitioning for the death penalty, they should go through with it. I think it's only fair. Was this the one? I can't even keep up. Which was this? Was this the one in Palm Beach? Like um, where the school was? or I believe so. This was the one a few years ago, right? Yes. This okay. was the one a few. And I think he, he killed um, 17 people. Yeah, yeah. I remember. That one was Parkland. That one was Parkland, Parkland. Oh, my God. Parkland. Um, yeah, that was that was horrific. Um. But yeah, that's a very different situation than I think. Well, yeah, because I think when you have multiple cases of murder with manifestos, I do think because I think I think more studies need to be conducted and research because I'm sorry when someone's done a crime that big, there's no rehabilitation. There's no option for rehabilitation. Well, yeah, I hope they are studying him. Like while he's in, I don't, I don't know what the process would be, but like, we definitely need to be like getting as much information from these people as possible, whatever they're going to say, whatever you can get. And also does keeping someone like him alive, does that create, or, you know, sentencing, sentencing him to death, does this create some type of, because with, with mass shooters and everything like that, there's always this type of idolization that occurs 
will there be an idolization from him living or from him dying? But that's hard to say because there have been so many more shootings. Yes. Yes. So I, you know, that's another issue is like, can we pin this on one person now? You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's a horrific problem we have in this country. And I'm really hoping this ends at some point that we can get a better handle on things. But I agree with you. Like, I really hope they're, they're researching this person. They're, they're doing something. They're getting something out of him while he's sitting. And I assume he's in prison, obviously. Oh, and by the way, apparently I just looked this up um, last year, as of last year. Would you believe that his, the, the mass shooter's sister is also facing life in prison? Really? Yes. What, She's she facing, about it? Uh, it, and, and not for the same crime. So oh, it's what? technically, so they share the same mother. Um, but it is, um, it looks like she um, tried to kill an elderly woman. Oh. And was like targeting her and like trying to steal her money and things like that. Like lots of evidence, you know? Oh my God. Jesus. All right. Oh, that's um, insane. That's, that's great. Like that is truly. And so essentially I'm also reading through an article too, that says like that the mother did do a lot of drugs during all of her pregnancies. And that's why all of her kids have like, obviously their upbringing could have not been that amazing no, either. No, no, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's 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 a really tricky circumstance when figuring out like, okay, with the death penalty and everything like that, what is going to be the best case scenario for those who grieve? I genuinely don't think the death penalty should be um, given unless it's a full-blown like, it, it, it's got to be something more than just a fit of rage type of thing. And I'm not saying that's excusable. I'm not saying, yeah, eight years, good behavior, you're out, bro. Not saying that. But like some type of ritualistic, sadistic type stuff, I think it could be, even if it's just one person. But I'm also not in law, you know? <laughs> I really don't know a lot about this stuff and what's going to be the best outcome. But overall, and, that, and keep in mind, mass shootings are like 5% of what's happening in America right now, right? So when you consider all the other 95% of crimes and everything that does happen, I don't think um, death penalty is a fair wage for any of that type of stuff, you know, without substantial proof and confession. Yeah, I'm I'm mostly not for the death penalty for several reasons, I think. I actually think for really, like, sadistic, violent people, I think it's kind of too easy. The I death penalty? We, yeah, I, I do think like, cause what, it's not like we, we guillotine these people, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think it's almost an easy punishment. Yeah. And it, it's also in a way, you know, I guess it also depends how you view death it could be an easy way out, you know? That's what I'm saying. I, um, I think in, in cases where the, if people are considering a death penalty, I think it also has to be, instead of just talking it up with a jury and stuff like that, I think you also, to do a death penalty trial, I think you have to have the, um, the anyone who is on the side of the victims, 
be able, like especially partners, family members, kids, stuff like that, be able to almost cast a vote as to whether or not should the trial occur. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's a good point. Because like, if, if even if you're like, no, I just want this person, like, can you imagine you find out, like, let's say, you know, you lose a family member to a mass shooting and stuff. And you, for four years, you have to hear about a trial. And then there's a possibility of a sentencing to death trial, life and sentence, uh, you know, a, a sentence to death trial, right? And you know, that's going to take another two years. Because the reality is, it's closer to being 10 years since the Parkland shooting than five years. Yeah, the Parkland shooting was what, 2017? 2016. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I, I, so can... it's also one of those things too where, um, I, I don't think we should be televising any of that stuff. I don't think it's like, I, I genuinely don't see why anyone needs to view news articles, of course, just to keep people in the loop who are, who want to know. I think it's, it's okay to have that public information. But to plaster everywhere, I don't think it does a good job um, in helping people, and especially the victims. Um, but, I, you know, I really – maybe I might check out this dude's biography. I really like to see what more wisdoms and stuff like that he's gotten from his eight years in uh, a French prison um, and kind of just see how it relates to Tumint into town and stuff like that. It's very fascinating overall. Yeah, and absolutely. as someone who – is majority of the time against the death penalty. I I, th I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great movie. And I definitely could see this movie having an impact at people at the time when these decisions about the death penalty were being made. Yeah, no, I, this is very powerful. And I think it definitely stands on its two feet now. This movie did age very well because we're still having the same issues. And once again, even without just the issues and everything like that, that it's involved, still an extremely well-written, well-performed, well-directed film. Yeah, has it all. Very, very impressed with this find. Um, so Savannah, what would you rate this film? What would you, would you like to own it on DVD? Um, but what are your thoughts, your, your closing statements on this film? Hmm. I would actually give it a 9.2 out of 10. Um, I really liked it. I thought that the movie was, for an older movie too, I thought it was paced very well. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the dialogue could have been a little bit better for some of the characters. Um, but that's just me kind of like nitpicking. Um, really, the only thing is I I probably, if I find it at a very good price, I would, I would grab it. But um it's not something at the top of my list because I don't see myself watching this really unless I'm showing it to somebody else or we're going to talk about it again. Yeah. Um, it's just not a movie. It's, it's just a, it's a sad movie. It's not something you're going to want to watch. Oh yeah. You're not like, yeah, I want to cry on the stationary bike again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for that reason, it, it would have to fall in the right place for me to buy it on DVD, but I highly recommend it. I think this is something we should be watching in schools. Um, and I think this is something everybody should watch. So, oh, for sure. I yeah. think this is definitely a, you know, this gotta be in like top thousand, uh, uh, 1001 movies to watch before you die, you know, oh, because yeah. it, it just has such great impact, such great writing. I think it's overall a really well done movie. Um, would I own the film? I do. 
I bought the film because I knew I was going to like it. Oh, that's right. I forgot you have it. So I was like, yeah, why not? It, if I'm going to pay $4 to rent it, might as well pay 9 to buy it. Makes a lot of sense. So I bought it and I'm very happy that I bought it because I do think I'd like to go back in and kind of analyze the film a little bit more, not through tear-streamed eyes. Yeah, you're prepared um, now. And I'm more prepared. And there were a lot of other scenes, I think – because there's so many strong points of this movie, there's a lot of other scenes that I think go under. Like, for example, we mentioned Gerard Depardieu. Did we mention Gerard Depardieu? No, because he's not a huge, significant thing in this movie, but he still has a pretty interesting scene. Also, there's that scene in the beginning of the film where there's also a riot happening. Yeah. Which is just, also, you think, too, like, it's for me, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there was a riot at one point. You know, which I think was smart to add in. It gives more context to prison life for, you know, the French at the time and stuff like that. Um, and what was done and how gruesome it seemed to got it seemed to get and everything. So I do want to go back and those kind of scenes that maybe deviated away from Delone's character, but were supposed to add something more to the film and the overall um meaning and moral of the story i, I want to visit back though so would i watch it again 100 um and i probably will soon overall my rating 9.2 does feel good i have right? to agree with you there. it's like a sweet it, spot it feels good i do think I, I think you're right i think maybe some of the dialogue is rough i always like to leave a little bit of a grain of salt just in case the translation is the issue and not actually the written dialogue um but there were some interesting transitions where literally it would it was a little goofy for the 70s you know it'd be <laughs> like it, it felt very i don't know like i guess it just it was you know it's clearly an older film and everything like that you know um there could be some other differences and stuff like that um i also i kind of wanted a little bit more um, from certain characters. I wanted more of Gabine's daughter and a little bit more from Delane's second girlfriend that yeah. we see in the film. I just wanted a little bit more diversity to them. Um, and I would love to have known a little bit more on how they specifically felt about it all, especially the girlfriend and the fact that her judgment and everything was considered to be impartial. I think I would have loved to see a scene with her getting emotional specifically about that and talking about that. Um, but yeah, that's also, if, not, if you hear me, that's kind of me nitpicking. It's overall just a really fantastic film and i'm happy that it was on our list and it got moved up closer and i'm happy we were able to watch it because it's definitely um one of my new favorite french films i mean look is it last tango in paris <laughs> i don't think so is it the woman next door oh my god i don't think so but is it close on that scale to how good of a movie i think it is yeah it's up there for sure all right all right. Well, that was our review of Two Men in Town. Um, thank you for sticking with this review. And I hope that this audio saves. I hope so, too. If it <laughs> the world will hear, the earth will tremble with my screams and be heard all around the world. Um, so, by the way, Savannah, next time we talk, we haven't even, I'm not going to say a cooler movie, okay? 
but we do have a movie that I think you're really going to like that's coming up next. What's the next one? The next movie is we're going back to Italia and we are talking about yesterday, today, (gasps) and tomorrow. (sighs) The time has come. And you know what? I'm in such a mood. After watching this movie, crying on my stationary bike, I am in the mood to see... A, 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 a tiny Italian man known as Marcello Mestre Iani Park <laughs> at Seville Loren during a striptease. What so, could be better? What was that? What could be better? What could be what better? What else would you need? So I'm really excited to talk about that movie. And it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I'm happy to revisit it and everything. I'm also doing Duolingo Italian lessons. So I want to see how... Um, how what I need to improve on. I'm not going to say how good I am because I'm not far <laughs> into my lessons, but what I need to improve on. For example, um, I, my boyfriend was poking me earlier today and I yelled at him, non è pane, which means it is not bread. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, so we have yesterday and today and tomorrow, yesterday, today and tomorrow coming up. And then as always, shout out to our Patreon subscribers, we have Sensei David, we have Homeboy Chains, and we have Danny Boy. Thank you guys so much for your support. And if you would like a super cool and unique little nickname shouted out at every episode, please be sure to check out our Patreon. We do have a little bit of bonus content on our page. What's the pl- what's the singular form of content? Con. Oh. <laughs> we have one content. <laughs> we right now uh, we. Uh, over the summer, we made a short film. It is being put through some film festivals. Fingers crossed we get into some. Um, and we'll know that soon. But until the meantime, the video cannot be public. So we made a private link that is only accessible through Patreon. Any tier of our Patreon listing is uh, capable of watching the video and having access to it. So if you are interested in that or you want the shout out or both, please be sure to check out our Patreon. All the little monies and stuff will go to just further upgrading our equipment. Sorry, I almost burped. As needed. And, you know, the occasional donkey run before we do a, a podcast recording. And we're also going to be expanding and trying out new stuff soon with more video content related. Um, and, yeah, I'm really excited to um, – I feel like we're back and I'm so happy we're back. Yay. Um, so – and I'm finally – I'm happy we're able to talk about this movie. Um so thank you guys so much for listening. Before we sign off, Savannah, is there anything else you'd like to add on? No, you just got to – guys got to be there next week for this be movie. There it's next very week important to me. Very important. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.